You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader back here once again with one of these remote truth and movies specials. This episode, we're going transatlantic. I'm very thrilled to welcome to the show Little White Lies stalwart Charles Promesco. Hello Charles, there. welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be on. It's good to be back. So, Charles, yes, last time we spoke you were in London. Where are you now? I'm at home. I am quarantining at my apartment in Brooklyn, New York. I've been here for the past few months now. It's been, it's been yeah, I think actually three months to the day because I began on March 10th. Uh, here with uh, my girlfriend and my roommate, everyone keeping each other sane. Lots of lot, lots of movies to watch, lots of food to be cooked. So you know, keeping ourselves busy. And are you, are you safe and well? Is is everybody okay? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, police violence in America recently, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you've been reading about, and a lot of that has been centralized in my neighborhood of Crown Heights. But um, fortunately for me, that has been located at the other end of the neighborhood, and that uh, you know all of my loved ones have stayed you know out of the way of harm. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping that you know positive change can be affected soon as is everyone in new york mm-hmm. and yeah. as we are internationally as well and glad to hear that you're you're safe yeah um so this week the topic of the show is i guess the rise and rise of the netflix <laughs> and this is off the back of uh, a new release coming to netflix this friday which is spike lee's the five bloods which i haven't seen yet you've seen right yes i got the i got the screener just yesterday i watched it you know right after getting it i couldn't wait um really hugely impressive movie uh it's i think that spike has entered this sort of a uh, really exciting late phase of his career where it's just these grand visions uh, that are toying with genre that are toying with huge ideas that go crashing into each other with thrilling results so this is um about a crew of vietnam veterans who return to saigon uh in the present day to retrieve a cache of gold and the remains of their fallen leader out in the jungle along with uh, one of the soldier's son. And uh, the things that befall them once they're actually in the jungle, I mean, I, I really, I don't want to say too much both because I don't want to spoil anything and because there will be people, uh, critics more well-equipped to comment on the genius of this movie than I am. But just in terms of artistry form, uh, it is a, it's, it's a really um, staggering achievement, I would say. It's, uh, toying with the tropes of the Vietnam movie as we know them, but then also building onto them, you know, spikeifying them. He definitely has a singular style that he, he imbues this movie with. That um, I don't know. It's it's thrilling stuff to watch. I really can't wait to watch it this weekend. I know there's a review going up on lwlies.com 
um, by previous guest uh, Leila Latif and I can't wait to read that as well uh, sure. and I can't wait to dive into this movie I hear that Delroy Lindo uh, South London's finest is particularly good I didn't even know he, I, he's British I had no idea uh, mm-hmm. he is yeah he's so he and Clark Peters I think definitely get the most meat to chew on and uh, they're incredible you know Delroy Lindo one of the soldiers he has become a Trump voter he's is, is sort of a far right type in, in America and one of the big questions this movie kind of tries to tangle with is the sort of uh, oxymoronic question of the black Trump voter like how does this work someone whose political philosophy is so rooted in racism how can a person be black and support him and the film you know uh, really painstakingly it's two and a half hours long uh, lays out a psychological rationale for how someone could get to that get to that political stance it's um it's brilliant stuff Terrific, and let's let's go from perhaps the sublime of Spike Lee to potentially the the ridiculous uh, of the, the the body of work that Netflix has put out on their system over the last what five years since they started putting out original films. Uh, yeah, the, one of the first films that they released in 2015, the, you know, their first major prestige release was Beasts of No Nation, the Idris Elba picture where he plays an African warlord who is sort of uh, exerting his sway over a child soldier played by Abraham Atta. And uh, ever since then, they've released, not including documentaries, just narrative films alone, over 350 movies. And then once you're adding in documentaries, that's, you know, hundreds more stand-up specials, TV series. It's a truly, truly uh, towering amount of content to have been released in such a short span of time. So... We, we've asked you on for this episode, Charles, because you are something of an expert of the Netflix. Uh, there's the fantastic ongoing project you have over on the Vulture website of ranking every single Netflix original. So in some ways, you're the best person for this topic and the best person to answer what is a Netflix. You already teased you're not including stand-up specials, you're not including documentaries. That might be a bit a bit controversial, maybe? I, I'm, um, I'm a human man, only so many hours in a day. I, uh, I had to give myself some parameters just to make this work. Uh, doable in the first place. I, I started this uh, assignment in 2016, I believe, uh, when when the grand number was much more manageable. I believe it was about 60 some uh, 60-ish movies back then. And then a year later, I did another update of everything that had been released in the past year, which was at that point also I think you know about 60 more. And then from there, I've been doing monthly updates, and I really had no idea how much of my life this would uh, come to occupy. It's it's been edifying, definitely, but they've <laughs> they've released a lot of clunkers. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. We should ask the question up front. You say there are a lot of clunkers. What's their batting average overall? So I, I was looking back at it, and I would say... It's something about, you know, one in every five movies is solidly watchable to good. Um, which, I don't know, you think about it, if you look at the average of something like Universal, it's closer to one in four or maybe one in three, uh, which is not all, all that more impressive. But w- when you think about it in terms of producing a slate of 10, 15 movies in a year versus producing, you know, 110 movies in a year, uh, it's kind of amazing that one studio can afford to make so many bad movies. Yeah. And do you see any broad trends here? Are there certain genres or type of film that that they seem to be better at or better suited at doing? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Yes, definitely. There are, if you watch all of these movies month in and month out, really discernible patterns start to emerge of, you know, a lot of these movies are greenlit by algorithmic favor. So what you can see is that if there's one movie that works, they will then commission four more movies that are very similar inflections of that just because, you know, then they'll have something to recommend to people after they've watched All the Boys I've Loved Before. And so, yeah, the, uh, the YA teen romance has been a huge staple, major staple, really reliably successful. Um, the most recent one being called the, the Half of It, which is a sort of Cyrano de Bergerac remix, except uh, the girl who helps the guy write letters to his more. It's not that the two of them end up together, it's that the girl is a lesbian and has a crush on the girl who she is helping this fellow court. Bit convoluted, not super funny. That's that's a recurring theme in a lot of these right. teen-geared comedies. Not super funny. Um, that's a lot of it. There are a lot of... So I watch all the foreign films a lot, and that is uh, illuminating in its own way. You see a lot of sort of street-level crime pictures out of France and Spain, a lot of Indian social dramas. Uh, I don't know the way they arrive at these decisions, but I would love to talk to someone at Netflix and be like, why is this the thing you're doing? Um, They do not so many films from Japan, but quite a few from China, a lot of uh, neorealist dramas about like youth and revolts, unrest, that kind of thing. There's a good movie called River's Edge, which I actually liked quite a bit. And then, um, apart from that, in the U.S., they have a lot of dramas about achieving your dreams, about, you know, people who are trying to get out of their small town or their provincial part of a large city and, and you know, attain stardom in some respect, but their family doesn't, doesn't want them to. It's boilerplate shit like that. Mm-hmm. I like what you say about if they have one success, they'll commission three more like it. I wonder if after the Irishman, we'll get the Englishman, Scotsman, and Welshman. <laughs> the Welshman, that, that would be good. And the Northern Irishman would be a decidedly different film from the Irishman. Exactly. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose the thing that's interesting about Netflix is that we we view them in some ways. Looking at the landscape of film production companies and brands, we look at an Annapurna or an A twenty four who have a slate of you know a handful of films, maybe ten at most a year, which or, or you know, where, where you can get your head around it you can see every single one you are a fan of their output and you know what that, what you're getting whereas Netflix seems to want to be the smorgasbord that tries to please almost everyone well it's it's odd because I, I, you're right in that they do release just 
sort of everything, just sort of aiming the fire hose at the wall and whatever sticks, sticks. Uh, but that is sort of how it works in that uh, someone who enjoys one sort of movie from Netflix has a very easy time ignoring everything else. It's not as if they'll be led astray. And, you know, um, someone who enjoys the teen comedy Let It Snow, starring Kiernan mm-hmm. Shipka of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, someone who enjoys that isn't just going to watch The Irishman just because it's on Netflix. It's understood more as something like YouTube, uh, which is mm. a platform rather than a curator of content. Netflix just kind of has things. And so that's yeah. why... Uh, well, it, it is kind of strange, though, because younger people, and this chills me to the bone, but they will refer to as uh, watching Netflix much in the same way one would say watching TV. It's his own platform. Yeah, very creepy. You find that creepy? Um, in the Well, I mean, in the way that they've permeated the market to that extent, like in the way that uh, someone says, you know, grab me a Kleenex when they mean a tissue. If you, someone's just watching Netflix to refer to watching, you know, entertainment, moving picture entertainment on their computer, that is a, uh, a frightening totality of influence there. That's, I don't know, I, I'm very paranoid about these things because I've seen too many of their movies. Well, of course. And, and then I suppose in the past, the medium was always served by many uh, distributors of, of exactly, content yeah. exhibitors and so on whereas now if the medium is all the, the platform and the medium is also the creator I also say that part of the issue is that Netflix so dominates this market that uh, you know the main competitors which are at this point Amazon Prime and Hulu they don't release anywhere close to the number of movies that uh, Netflix releases they're operating a little bit more like traditional studios in that they're judicious about what they choose and when they release it but Netflix is just kind of trying to drown them in an avalanche of content. I think we we should dig into some films in a second, but do you think this bubble will do you think this bubble will burst? Eventually it has to, yes. So, you know, the the big thing is that they pride themselves on not being an original studio. We're disruptors. They run themselves not like a studio but like a tech company, like a tech startup, which means that unlike movie studios where money is everything, that you're sunk if you cannot produce a return on investment by the time that the movie is released, Netflix can just keep rolling its debt into itself because it doesn't have flops. Uh, they don't tell people how many things, how many clicks each title gets because I guess that's that would expose how many of these things aren't watched by anybody, I assume. Uh, I would love to see those numbers as well. should call for some more transparency there. My point being that they have so much debt that eventually this, I would refer to it as a house of cards, rather ironic metaphor, but uh, it has to fall <laughs> down. There's just, there, there's no there there. There's no foundation. It's just, uh, they can't keep accruing debt forever. Well, let's look at through some of their biggest hits and biggest misses then. And since you're the guy that's seen pretty much all of them, which would you want to go to first? Um, let me. I, I should have got this article up here too. I'll take a look at that as well. Uh, I will say that I was kind of just mentally running through to what extent Netflix has earned this legitimacy as a movie studio. And to their credit, they have brought us a Spike Lee movie, a Coen Brothers movie, and a Martin Scorsese movie. I really, uh, <laughs> not a lot to be said about that. They got me there. Exactly, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I think there are certain filmmakers that really owe Netflix with their careers. Mike Flanagan being one of them, uh, he yes, speaks definitely. about how even in his, you know, before he made actual branded Netflix content, he had some of his early his, his early independent films were bought by Netflix, acquired for their platform. So mm-hmm. he's very pro Netflix in terms of what he does. Yeah. So um, going through the top of the list now, I mean, I'd say probably the greatest service to society ever performed by Netflix was that they brought us the other side of the wind. The uh, the finished cobbled together edit, they uh, got that to the public, uh, which is quite an achievement. I really thought I would never see it ever. 
that's major. Just last year, I was a huge fan of Marriage Story. I think that's one of the best movies they've ever released. I put that at number three on my list. I was uh, really, really impressed by a new sensitivity from Noah Baumbach, who I've felt is sort of aloof at times. Uh, just the acting from Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, on all counts. I love Roma, Alfonso Cuaron, Okja, uh, which was Bong Joon-ho's prior film to the big break Parasite. Um, Buster Scruggs to Private Life, which is a, a lovely drama by Tamara Jenkins about a couple mm. working to conceive a child. A very sensitively drawn movie, very uh, well written, well acted by Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. And so they, I mean, even just going through the top ten, that's a very respectable slate. To have released those really over the course of a few years is a lot to be proud of. If it was not so, you know, deeply embedded within a, a bigger cache of, of crap. Do you, do you buy the party line that they have these deep pockets that can fund films that could never be made elsewhere? So the Irishman and the, the huge budget behind it? or Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I do, to an extent, feel like uh, I like Netflix insofar as it's the place that aging auteurs go to make their longest, most expensive movies. Uh, <laughs> Defive Bloods is 200... No, what am I saying? It's two hours, 35 minutes. It definitely feels like it has not been mediated by the influence of the studio in any way. Irishman is three hours. Buster Scruggs is very long. Mm. Uh, and so I think it's strange. If you are a name auteur and I think you go to Netflix, they will give you a lot of creative latitude. They'll leave you alone. They won't note you to death. But if you are someone who is hired for one of their jobs, not necessarily a filmmaker that they're trying to collaborate with, but someone who they have brought in to make a project for them, I, I, I smell the stink of notes all over these. There are little touches that don't fit in, just just things uh, that feel as if they're the brainchild of either an algorithm or an overzealous executive or something like that. Whereas the, the films in the Netflix... I mean, I, I do love those films. Pri- Private Life in particular, and you know, the Myrit stories, Roma, The Irishman. I wanted to mention uh, High Flying Birds, Steven Soderbergh, High right. Flying Bird, about uh, talent negotiations and basketball. Fascinating movie, really uh, amusing entertainment. Great stuff. So I, I find it interesting you bring that one up in particular because an, a Netflix-specific phenomenon for me is that sense of the sands of time passing very quickly. And there may be this film that they're pushing on their homepage in the spotlight for one week, and then if you've not watched it, it's gone. It gets further and further down your list if you are keeping a list at all. And High Flying Bird was one. Dolomite is My Name was one that I just didn't see back towards the back end of last year whenever it went up on the platform. And now you go on Netflix and these films may not even exist. Whereas I suppose the windowing strategies of the traditional film companies would be you'd have three or four points to actually lock in and watch these films whereas now netflix focuses so much on that initial wave of interest and hype that's i mean that's one of the main criticisms to be made of their business model is that it kind of does not give movies their due uh they buy a lot of movies i I, you know they've said they've released multiple hundreds which means that they cannot afford to get the word out about all of them and often it seems like they're not even especially concerned with getting the word out of the ones that deserve to be promoted Uh, i remember a couple years ago at Cannes film festival i saw a film called the world is yours by romaine gavras which is a wonderful french crime comedy with um Uh, Isabella Johnny, I believe, is right. it. Uh, really, really great stuff. And they purchased it, which I thought was kind of neat. And they did not advertise it at all, ever. And then I had to find out three days after the fact that it had been quietly and unceremoniously dropped onto the service, not placed on the homepage or anything like that. Really just left uh, out there to rot, uh, which I felt like was a huge disservice. 
And so uh, it, it's frustrating to see things like that, which happen uh, more frequently than you would think. Even, even you know, when they do sort of put their back into getting a movie out there, I think of um, Atlantics by uh, Mati mm-hmm. Diop, which came out last year, and they got the word out. Uh, but really, critics did a lot of that heavy lifting. As far as just, you know, bringing the word to the public, it was on us to let people know that they had a good one on Netflix, you know, just waiting to be watched. Um, and so that's that's difficult. The promotion department is not the most organized or, or motivated but it's it's endemic to the platform isn't it if you're disrupting all of the the the, the, the processes and workflows behind cinema then you've already also disrupted the communications and marketing strategies and how do you then replace it if you're focusing so much on the drop the upload? i see um it's, it's strange you know uh, working with studio media everything mattered that the most important thing is running before the day of release. You have to get these things out, you know, the week before the Friday that these movies come out. Netflix, much more comfortable with approving press interviews after the fact. It's week two, mm-hmm. three of something having been out. They will still, you know, if, if you can get a hold of them, get you in touch with uh, whoever you want to talk to. Yeah. And so some of my favorite films on the platform are those maybe ones that either flew under the radar or were the smaller projects. I've mentioned Mike Flanagan. I think that Gerald's Game and Hush... Um, his films that are on there, of course, he also did Haunting of Hill House, which is his series. But those two much more specific films uh, really did 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 uh, did something for me. And I, I just looked at your Vulture article that you've not ranked the um, the film Cam. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was the next thing I was going to bring up. That is one of my favorite movies that Netflix has released. Uh, if if yeah. I, um, yeah, I will explain in a moment why I didn't, but if I was to put it on the list, it probably would have cracked the top 10. I think it's a fiendishly uh-huh. clever movie about a, uh, a cam girl, uh, online cam girl, who finds, she logs on one day to find that there is an identical virtual doppelganger of herself broadcasting from her private cam channel and her efforts to try to figure out the origin of this and get rid of it uh, really become this very intense psycho thriller. Uh, really, really well written, well shot, yeah. well acted by Madeline Brewer in the main role. Uh, and, I, and I didn't want to include it with the rankings because uh, prior to the release of the movie, I had befriended the director uh, just around New uh, York while he was living there. And then I met the writer as well, and we all got rather chummy. And it just didn't uh, didn't uh, sit right with me to be you know placing that so high up, being like, hey, this movie my friends made is is as good as Bong Joon Ho's movie or something. But I suppose that does mean it's the first film people see when they click on the article because it's not ranked. They were actually so, pretty thankful for that. They they, they get a lot of eyeballs <laughs> that way. <laughs> but I, I'd recommend it too, and I, I have no idea who any of these people are. So uh, there that's we go. a relatively unbiased review as well. Do you think that the, the fact that people's attention spans refresh like Goldfish much more quickly with Netflix than with um, you know, traditional theatrical releases, that it means that their failures are forgotten more quickly? Or do, do they still bear the scars of the likes of Bright and Mute and Velvet Buzzsaw? So I'd say the answer to this is two-pronged, both in that what you're saying is correct, that people sort of just cast aside the failures and don't give those much uh, thought at all. You know, it's not the way like a Pluto Nash sticks to that studio forever and the people who made it get fired and all that shit. No one cares. No no, no one cares is certainly how it seems. Uh, people just move on to the next whatever it is. But more to that point, I think that a lot of Netflix's strategy has been oriented around TV for that exact reason, is that the deterioration of the attention span favors series is these are the things that you know you can kill an entire weekend watching and then on monday discuss with your friends much in the way one would have water cooler talked about uh, you know whatever was playing on hbo on sunday nights it's uh 
this is sort of the new zeitgeist watch. I'm hardly the first person to bring this up, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I do think that their platform, even though they release so many movies, is TV first. Right. And and yeah, it's interesting. They, they seek the zeitgeist rather than anything lasting. I found that with Bird Box, when that had its moments, I saw just as much just chatter about the fact that it's there and people are watching it rather than people actually enjoying it. Think about it now. Uh, how many Bird Box fans are out there quoting Bird Box or thinking about Bird Box or, or having any recollection of Bird Box whatsoever? The staying power with these movies is very spotty, very forgettable yeah. films a lot of the time. Um, you know, even, even their successes, something like Roma has not quite left the cultural dent that we might have imagined. It's not something, you know, to the extent of... Get Out, or even, you know, uh, Star is Born, which seems to have been a larger cultural event. Um, yeah, that, that's a very fair point. And actually, you know, sometimes A24 get branded with a similar brush that they're, they're seeking to, to, to memify all their films in advance to create a bubble of hype around them. However, yeah. that does actually give them staying power. People are still talking about Uncut Gems a year or so until before after it's been released. I think that whole uh, the philosophy of putting the you know hipness cart before the horse, uh, that sort of thing, mostly has manifested in them just licensing movies with vivid neon-colored cinematography, which is something I generally like and you know easily screenshot it. I feel like uh, that was a big part of the conversation on Uncut Gems. How many black light scenes are there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, as uh, I I think that Netflix is less concerned with being a steward of the culture in the way of minting stars, of having you know, uh, they, they don't. The relationship to the blockbuster is very strange because they have not made too much of an effort to throw their money behind and release movies that. Think about the Michael Bay movie Six Underground. Mm. That was not marketed or you know it, it was not sold as a major unmissable blockbuster it was just a thing that friday they don't have their fast and furious which is something that has to maintain the rest of the schedule for an entire summer uh that's just not the way they function which is sort of disorienting because you don't always know what deserves your attention or your time and it must be interesting to be michael bay in that equation whereas with martin scorsese the coen brothers um, even beyond the grave with Orson Welles, Netflix are the benevolent hand giving a budget that maybe they, maybe they can't find elsewhere. But Michael Bay is almost trying to, to strip his ego out of it. It's no longer the big temple bayhem taking over your screen for, for the weekend in a way that Blockbuster would be. It's just another piece of content. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is strange because he's working with what certainly visually appears to be more money than ever and get exactly what you're saying. It is less of a cultural moment than any of his films. It came and went with barely a peep. I actually enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's pretty stupid, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, he is better at choreographing scenes of destruction than any of these Marvel jokers. <laughs> Do you have any other films, uh, maybe under the radar films, that you'd want to shout out? Let me take a look. See, um, uh, oh yes, I quite liked a movie called Apostle, which is by Gareth Evans, a fine ah. horror director who also has done some cool work with martial arts. Uh, it is a very unusual, I think, nineteenth-century set horror movie about a guy who goes to an island, and it seems like they're in a sort of wicker man cult situation. But then it takes a lot of very dark and nasty turns very unexpected uh i I like that one quite a bit and i think yeah dan stevens is the the guy i find him a a very likable actor and there's another one called the perfection another horror movie i I think netflix is pretty good with horror because those always thrive with uh, low budgets and minimal oversight but a nice movie called the perfection 
uh, also rich with twists. These Netflix movies, twists are huge because people write articles explaining what the twists are and then people click on those articles and then they watch the movies. It's a whole thing. Uh, but it's about these uh, dueling viola players, cello players, I believe, cello players, uh, who go on a trip through China and all sorts of unfortunate things befall them, some at the hands of each other, some at the hands of others. It's, it's the best, you know, least less you know about it, the better. Uh, but that movie whips, yeah. Have you seen Caliber? I guess, of course you have. You've, you've put your list together. Where did that come for you? Uh, I, I enjoyed that one. That is, I... So it's funny, because I say I enjoyed that one, and that's at 117. But the <laughs> list is so long that that's actually kind of high up in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I did like that. Yeah, it's in, they're in Scotland, right? They're in the Highlands. Uh, it's well, the two guys on the sort of stag weekend. Well, it's it it's almost fits in with those other films you talk about, where it feels that Netflix, somebody in development or acquisitions at Netflix goes to Toronto and watches Midnight Madness or goes into the genre sidebars of film festivals and says, oh, I really liked Green Room and Blue Ruin. Let's fu- let's fund the next Jeremy Saunier film, which they did. And and Cal- Caliber definitely feels like the sort of film that would play really well at that small to mid-size festival, but it's given a pla- an international platform that it wouldn't have otherwise. And it's got a star in there like well or a rising star that Jack Loudon is and it does hinge on something that happens in the first 20 odd minutes that will hook you and make you want to keep watching which is a staple of genre cinema but also any sort of social media wonk from YouTube or Facebook video will say that's what you got to do you got to get, get people's attention early yeah yeah so that's why I it's, wonder whether genre is a pretty good fit for something like Netflix it does keep your attention and the run times are quite low Definitely. Uh, it's it's in the sense that they're, you know, a, a cheapy factory. It is friendly to the horror genre in that respect. You would think that this would sort of uh, bring in maybe a miniature renaissance for the form, but as many, you know, innovative horror movies as they have produced, there's just so much chaff, a lot of chaff. Is there anything that... Have they a- a- approached a so-bad-it's-good sort of trash? Yes, indeed. I'm glad you asked. So the the trouble with reviewing a lot of these Netflix movies is that the bad ones aren't especially entertaining. They're just they're just they're just deadening. Nothing going on there. The one that I love is Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry made a Netflix movie. The title of which I am about to recite to you. It's called A Fall from Grace. I have this. I have I have a running joke that we should organize a game show in which people quiz me on recalling the titles of. They give me the synopsis of a movie that I've watched. And see if I can remember the title, because just I've flushed hundreds of these from my memory banks. But this one I love. Tyler Perry's A Fall from Grace, which is like a sort of Hallmark movie injected with steroids about a older woman of color, falls in love with a man who seems to be a good, decent man, then turns out to be an abusive brute. She has to do something about that. She tries to take countermeasures. They go awry. There are like four twists, lots of like the room, I have breast cancer level bad acting. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. And that's something interesting. So Tyler Perry is his his own institution in the States. And yes. in the UK, we don't tend to get his films. So that's something that Netflix can do. We can watch Trash of All Stripes. It, Netflix has an interesting strategy in which they will sometimes, if they like one creator enough, they will just pitch them a huge lump sum of like multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Like they're doing multi-picture deals like in old times Hollywood. It's uh, They hired... Uh, Ryan Murphy cut him a gigantic check to make you know several TV shows for them over the course of 10 years or something like that they um, cut a huge check to Tyler Perry who as you said was really his own entity and they wanted to knit him into the Netflix family I'm sure is a phrase used by someone at some point 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess he, his name had to come up eventually, but we should talk about Adam Sandler very quickly. Uh, so, that's, well, that's our guy, yeah. So I guess he's come round to having you know a couple of his best movies ever on, on Netflix, but there was a phase where they cut him that huge check and he could just make what he wanted, right? Right. So the actual contract, uh, they, they did a six-picture deal with Adam Sandler. That was, uh, and I think that's been fulfilled. And that was with his production company, which is called Happy Madison. The really great Adam Sandler Netflix movies that people think about, uh, which is Meyerowitz Stories and, uh, well, not Uncut Gems because that was, that was A24, but it's on Netflix now. It's, you know, good to have for the brand. And it's because this is a, what we call cross-promotional synergy, is that if people are watching Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, they are more likely to watch him in his just execrable, completely fucking unredeem- unredeemable Happy Madison movies that he makes for this platform. Those are some of the worst, both the ones that he actually stars in and the ones that feature the sort of uh, orbiting heads in his little universe like David Spade or uh, Rob Schneider. Are any of them worth the time? That's a tough question. Uh, I'd say the one that is definitely the closest to being worth the time is uh, there's a picture called Sandy Wexler, which is sort of a fictitious biopic. It's a biopic of this fictitious talent agent called Sandy Wexler, who was actually based on this real character that Adam Sandler, when he was younger, and a lot of other comedy types from the 80s, uh, they, they knew this guy in real life. Uh, and and that, that one is sort of funny, laced with Hollywood in jokes, in humor like that. Um, and so I, I like that one. That, that one, I guess I will give my pass to, but that's really the only one. This Netflix deal has enabled some of Adam Sandler's most passive, lazy, phoned-in filmmaking. These are uh, sort of glorified vacations that he's taking with actors that he's known for years. They go to a tropical locale you know, toss off a few creaky jokes, everybody collects a check. It's um, yeah, very cynical stuff. We've talked about so many Netflix films here, and the amazing thing looking at, admittedly it's a Wikipedia page, so who knows how much of this is confirmed, but they have so many films on the horizon. So what are the highlights that you're looking forward to having to watch to put into this list? Um, well, I just spoke. I can give you a little uh, little tease here. I spoke earlier this week with Eliza Scanlon, who's in the wonderful new film Baby Teeth. And uh, one of the oh, things right. I was really keen on asking her about is that she's in Antonio Campos's new film, uh, which is called The Devil All the Time. I think he's a, a real talent, and this sounds interesting. It's a period piece. It's sort of episodic. And I was asked her what her role was, and she's like, I can't say too much. But uh, all of her scenes are with Tom Holland and Rob Pattinson. They're in the... Uh, 1800s, I believe it's... Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, the 1900s, the time between World War II's end and the beginning of Vietnam in mm. Middle America. And so that sounds actually pretty cool. Definitely watching that. They have oh, they have the new David Fincher picture, which is a biopic about the screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz and his mm. battles with um, Orson Welles over screenplay credits on Citizen Kane. That's obviously going to be oh, amazing. Yeah. It's new, new David Fincher. Can't blow that. New Charlie Kaufman, film called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Wow. Dark right. comedy, as is Charlie Kaufman's want. Uh, what else? Uh, I mean, I'm rather dubious about this, but they're bringing us Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy adaptation, which has become a sort of uh, lightning rod novel in the United States for its rather disparaging portrayal of the South, the American South. What else do we have here? Oh, how about this? Is a uh, Guillermo del Toro's stop motion Pinocchio that's going to be his next big feature that's going to be on Netflix? I didn't even know that. Oh my God, this is such a long list. <laughs> I mean, it's it's too long a list to even you know get get our head around. And the thing is, I I do think it's doing a disservice to Netflix that we don't talk about documentaries. And I, maybe it's the final word, just sure. to nod to the fact that that they really have in some ways excelled 
within the documentary form. Admittedly, they have reinvented the popular water cooler documentary with with your Tiger Kings um, yeah. and ma- making a murderer and so on. But there are some great creative documentaries that are experimenting with the form. Films like Strong Island and Shirkers, casting John Bonet. Films that I saw at festivals like Sheffield Doc Fest or Berlin or um, CPH Docs in Copenhagen and I see them and I think these are amazing festival films will they even ever come out and Netflix then turns that something that that nothing into something and it's available yeah. worldwide and you can point to it and say go and watch Strong Island now just last year uh, they released uh, Oscar winner I believe American Factory which is about mm. sort of a friction between American uh, auto workers who are being repurposed in a Chinese glass factory uh, really fascinating stuff uh, that was definitely seen by more eyeballs I think that would not have won the Oscar without the support of Netflix and so yeah. I, as as uh, as jaded as I might be having seen all these movies I cannot deny that you know they have brought a lot of good work to a very wide swath of the public and they've brought a lot of work to your plate as well, Charles. <laughs> and they have paid my rent many, many times over. That is perhaps <laughs> worth mentioning as well. <laughs> well, Charles, thank you so much for joining me and talking through the Netflix uh, phenomenon. Um, listeners, let us know what your take on Netflix is. If you have any underseen gems that you'd like to recommend to us, you can do that at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email. And of course, there's the comment section at LWLies.com slash podcast. Charles, thank you so much for joining me today. Ah, always a treat. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.